Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fall, and thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. If you want to claim your one-month free trial, and I suggest you do, visit freeagent.com slash freelance. But first, let's find out what it's like being freelance for learning experience designer, Kath Ellis. I've learned the hard way because... In the beginning, I would have these long conversations with people. I'd spend so much time chatting about it. And then they turn around and they say, oh, this is my budget. And I go, well, God, you can't get anything for that. I'm always learning. So the thing is, when you're working at home, you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder going, why is she looking at YouTube? Everything I do is I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning something different. So my head's always ticking away. So yes, that is Kath, the very first learning experience designer that I've spoken to for the podcast, actually. Uh, I mean, of course, and I haven't said this for a while, but the important thing to remember is that actually it's all about the being freelancer. Whatever job title you might see listed wherever you get your podcast or on beingfreelance.com, don't ever let somebody's job title make you think, oh, that's nothing like what I do. That's not what this is about. It's all about the being freelance. And there's so much that is linked and common between all of our roles. As a learning experience designer, and and I make quite a lot of videos for the learning and development world, which is basically training mainly in corporations and stuff. You might think of it as e-learning, but it's kind of like it goes beyond that. It's like making e-learning good. So yes, anyway, so that's what she does, learning experience designer. And we will speak to her in a moment. Let me just remind you, beingfreelance.com is where everything comes together, both the podcast, my videos, including my vlog, where I chat about what I get up to and show you what I get up to as a free freelancer each week always appreciate your comments on those thank you also the articles and there is the chance for you to buy the being freelance mug <laughs> cool yeah i hey making a cup of tea as a freelancer or coffee is is vital right why not do it in one of those beautiful vessels that you find at the website and we also have the community so many great conversations live q and a's and support actually like cheering people on and thinking about different ways to do stuff going on in the community you can find that at beingfreelance.com click on community and it will take you through so come on in right let's move along shall we to this week's chat and speak to learning experience designer based in melbourne kath ellis hey kath hey how are you i'm very well you like i say based in melbourne but clearly not from there where are you from originally from manchester Ah, okay. Well, let's find out how you ended up where you are, both geographically and work. How did you get started being freelance? Well, I started my freelance journey just a little bit more than two years ago. So I had been working in the private sector and uh, I jumped out and went to work for the government. Um, I'd worked for the government previously as a, as a learning designer. And um, the, the, the last government job that I went to work for actually wasn't really ready for me. They didn't have a learning management system in place. They didn't have really anything in place. And I just felt that I wasn't getting very much out of my work. And I was getting requests through my website for freelance work was I interested and I kept saying no I was getting to the point where I was knocking back a piece of work a week which is really really good and um, my partner just said to me right that's it 
I think you've got to give this a try. So that was it. Started taking clients and uh, gave it a try for a month, working on top of my full-time job. And then I decided to um, do it full-time. So I quit my job and just said, look, I'm leaving, going to pursue my dream, start my own business. And uh, that's it. It's been um, it's been fantastic. I've been in a very lucky position, Steve, where I've not really had to look for work at all. It's just one job after the next. It's just come through. I've, I've been extremely lucky. Amazing. So just to rewind, how long had you been doing learning experience, you know, working in e-learning and stuff like that? How long had you been doing that before you made that jump? I had been doing it for about 10 years I started working in training, actually working for Carnival Cruise Lines out in um, in Miami. So I was running a crew training center, and this was uh, this was around 1999. You know, there wasn't any e-learning at that time, but there was PowerPoint. So you know, it was putting together training packages for crew members to learn basically how to do different things. You know, I'd say maybe around 2001, I was starting to do some training, showing them different things like blogs that were out there, very simple form of blogs. And uh, it was really running a a training center for their own professional development. So I started building little things while I was on the ships. And that went on to me leaving the ships, coming to Australia and, uh, yeah, I was work- working for a big government department and working in the media and online learning unit. I started out working as a curriculum trainer, developing curriculum, and um, they just identified that, again, I was quite sharp with my design skills. And it, this what happens to instructional designers. They all seem to go down this path. They end up, anyone who's quite tech savvy ends up doing e-learning. So in the 10 years that you were working in the government, what were you doing behind the scenes? Because clearly we reached a point, (laughs) like we've skipped a bit of story, where where people are looking at your website and going, oh, can we hire you? Can we hire you? One a week. So what were you doing to build your reputation outside of your your actual paid full-time job? That's a good question. So I actually had a just a resume in the beginning and I had a few screen captures of work so it really wasn't a live version of anything it was just an image and it was a nice looking resume I basically converted that into a portfolio and because of my work with the police I couldn't really share anything and even in the private sector it was very uh, used somewhat it was a company's IP I couldn't share that So I started creating my own, just some little micro components, like little mini games, just to showcase my skill set. And I'd talk a little bit about what I did. And yeah, that's what I did to showcase my work. And how were you getting word out there that that existed? I've had a presence for quite a long time on on the web. Just my SEO was working really well, especially in... I'd say in the last three years, I was ranking quite high with my SEO for certain e-learning terms. So if you put in a term like e-learning designer, instructional designer, you didn't even need to put Melbourne. I was coming up quite high 
because I was presenting a lot of information and obviously was getting a lot of interest in my portfolio and my blog. So it was just a natural, just coming through, through, through Google. There was a little bit of word of mouth as well. I was being approached by a number of government departments. So yeah, there was just, a, I think, positive word of, word of mouth as well. How has that changed now? Like if we go to your website now, how has that changed, if at all, since deciding to go freelance in the last couple of years? Yeah, well, it's definitely more focused on me being a freelancer. In the past, like I said, it was a bit of a resume that had a portfolio in it. I've actually built a brand around it. So I've got, you know, a nice logo and a color scheme. And that's what I use for everything. Very much the same, uh, quite a lot of positive word of mouth from people and uh, recommendations from people. LinkedIn has been quite good. My network is quite large, but the majority of people come through my website. I have a nice quote calculator. I think that attracts quite a lot of interest as well. So whether that's people who actually want me to do work or they're just wanting to get a gauge of how much something costs, I call it kind of a guesstimate, you know. Um, so again, just having tools like that on your website can get a lot of people in and get a lot of people interested, at least onto the site, and then they can move around and see what you're doing and your your type of work. How does the quote calculator work? Like, did you create the code and stuff yourself? Well, I used a plugin. Um, my website's just on WordPress, so I used a a quote calculator that was available just through Invato and uh, just started to think about different types of courses and what would be some good examples so someone can go in and, and see different types of courses whether it's a conversion so that's someone who's maybe got an old flash course that wants to put it into HTML or you've got a um, course maybe a custom or bespoke course that needs to be done from scratch I normally will put it uh, or, or give people options to choose a certain amount of time that the course may be. I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about things like learning being very short because we're all very short of time. You know, we've got so much on our plates. The last thing I want is a bad learning experience. So another thing is I generally don't quote more than 20 minutes because I don't really want to be building things that are an hour long or something horrific like that. So a, a client will get a good understanding of what I provide just through something like the quote calculator. And I show visual examples of the type of work that you'll get for that price. I'm presuming that cut out a lot of back and forth email contact. Yeah. And it's good because uh, for clients who you know, it, it, sometimes it's a hard conversation to have, what's your budget? Because they'll always come back and say, oh, I'm not sure. So for me to just say, look, just jump on the website, then they know how much it costs for e-learning. And, and it kind of takes away that difficult conversation, you know? I quite like it because up front, they can work out how much it's going to be to work with me and the type of work that I do. And then the work that I don't want to do, I just don't advertise that I do it you know, so, and I've learned that I've had some examples of work that I go, I don't want to do this type of work. And I've ended up taking it out of my portfolio because I simply don't want to do it again. Yeah. So even if someone comes to you and asks for it, you're like, eh, 
<laughs> I do. I, I honestly do because I, I'm I'm quite passionate about feeling so confident that if I do a piece of work for a client, I would want to be proud enough to show that in my portfolio. And if something isn't going to be a positive learning experience, and I'm sure you've done e-learning, it's got such a bad rap, you know, I, I just say, well, I'm, I'm not the right person to do this piece of work. So, you know, maybe I could recommend someone else. Or if I think it is bad enough that they wouldn't even want to do it, I just tell them, I'm, you know, maybe try LinkedIn or another network. So that quote calculator is a great idea for like qualifying and having that conversation. Have you got other processes in place to sort of like streamline onboarding and so on and so forth, like to, to work with your clients? Yeah, um, I do. I look, I never, I've learned the hard way because in the beginning, I would have these long conversations with people. I'd spend so much time chatting about it. And I'm sure you've done this as well, Steve. And then they turn around, and they say, Oh, this is my budget. And I go, Well, God, you can't get anything for that. You know, I've wasted all this time. Someone told me, just ask them straight off the bat, what's your budget? And there's a guy who I absolutely love, Chris Doe from the future. And that's very much his thing. You know, he's all about strategy and, you know, straight straight off the bat, what's your budget? So right there and then he can say, look, you know, I can, I'll work with you between this much, but for that, for that budget, that's not going to get you very much or it's going to get you this kind of product. And I don't do that kind of product. So for example, there's a government department that I met with this week and um, they want to talk about fraud. And, you know, we're talking about doing a podcast. The kind of conversation that they have with me is they want something really engaging. And, they, you know, they want something really now. Okay, well, what have we got that's out there now? So, you know, e-learning is not e-learning as such. It's falling into really design that agencies are doing. And in structural design, I do a lot of website development and I really think about the way that I chunk content down the same way that I do for learning content. So it's an interesting space. I mean, you just mentioned there agencies. There's a lot of agencies who work in this field. Do you sometimes get hired by agencies to do stuff or are you like, no, I, I will create it all? So it's really interesting because the agencies that approach me say, I'm looking for someone to do a project next month. And I say, well, I'm fully booked for three months. I, I am lucky in that sense that I am able to book work in advance. It's quite niche learning design. So, and the time it takes to negotiate and talk, I look at it as, okay, I'm booked. So the agencies that have approached me, I did do some work in the beginning with agencies. And sometimes they did all the the design, for example, they did all the assets, they did all the audio, they did videos. But lately, I've not been working with agencies. And now I just say I don't have the availability to take on a last minute job with an agency. So that means you you do everything yourself. So you do all the research and client development, you do the writing that might go with it, creating, designing, like everything. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I normally do a learning strategy first and then I do a course overview. So the course overview would be really the equivalent of thinking about a wireframe. Okay, what order are we going to put on the pages? What content is required? 
from then I'll do a visual mock-up and I will then go to storyboards. So basically storyboards, filling in a document word for word, what are we putting in each of the slides or in this game, etc. What are we doing? After I've done a storyboard, I go to development. Sometimes I'm more agile. I'll do bits so that we don't go off track. And once I've done the, the build, it'll go out, it will be tested. I implement changes and then it will go live. And then in best case scenario, we'll do some kind of evaluation so we can make sure we've got some user feedback. Sometimes clients want it, sometimes they don't. But yeah, it's a big uh, it's a big job, but I enjoy it. I'm not ready to give up that design work. So, you know, people have said, why don't you build a bit of an agency for yourself? But I really like working with a client on what their challenge is and how we can change behavior within their organization through that product. So you could bring on other freelancers, for example, to do elements for you, but actually you enjoy it. Yeah, I love it. I really love it. That seems like a long process. You know, these are big projects. There's a lot that goes in there. So how do you manage your payment sort of structure across that sort of thing? Well, mine's pretty simple, uh, but quite common. I think um, 50% upfront and then 50% at the end. Depending on the size of projects, I might run a couple of projects at the same time. So it's worked out for me so far, but um, I'm, I'm starting to dabble in things like Alexa skills and things like that for the learning and development. So these might not be the kind of price range of a traditional e-learning course, but you know they're certainly an interesting space. So you know I might might price it a little bit different within milestones, maybe. By the moment, it's working well. You mentioned Alexa skills. So is that something that you're always conscious of doing, of like uh, looking at what is next and what you could offer to people? Like, Is it because people are coming to you asking for something or is it because you are suggesting it to them and seeing what's happening in, this, in your field? A lot of it's suggesting, to be honest. To just to be able to sit in a meeting with a client or have them on the phone and say, you know, we're spending hours. So I had a government department saying we're spending hours creating videos showing managers how to do things. And all they need is a process, you know, how to fill out a leave form, how to do this, how to do that. And I said, well, simply put, we could do an Alexa skill that um, is built off a Google sheet that is dynamic. You can change it. You know, you won't need me to do that. I can put it in a skill using variables and you could basically have them around the office and, you know, the the managers can just say, hey, Alexa, she's she's lighting up now. She's next to me. Hey, Alexa. <laughs> do you know what? Loads of people listening to this will be having the same thing. I did it in my vlog and then I got loads of people saying, "My," I said, you know, her name and then I said play six music in the kitchen and loads of people are saying I don't have a speaker in my kitchen she's having yeah. a breakdown <laughs> uh, but you know for, for them to just have them dotted around and and to think about that as learning you know doesn't always have to be this thing through the learning management system so yeah look and that's the interesting thing I'm, I'm always looking to see what's out there what could be applied to learning or that more important question, how would I like to learn if I had to learn this? So, you know, it's 
it's good. It allows me to be innovative. And then you're blogging about that sort of stuff as well, are you? Not as often as I should be, but uh, my New Year's resolution is to blog a lot more often, yes. So did you find that you had more time to be sharing? Because, you know, we spoke about how blogging and building and et cetera helped you get to the point where you could go freelance, but you were doing that when you had a full-time job. <laughs> you, you could go home at the end of the night. You're finding less space to do that now, are you, that you're actually freelance? Well, do you know what? I'm, I am busier than ever, but I make time to stay on top of things, to, you know, I'm always learning. So the thing is, when you're working at home, you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder going, why is she looking at YouTube? Everything I do is I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning something different. So my, my head's always ticking away. Oh, God, I could use that. You know, I could I could do that in a learning module. So I have a, I'm learning more than ever, but I'm busier than ever. But if that makes sense, Steve. Yeah. But then do you have time to show that learning in your blog the same way that you did when you weren't freelance? Yeah, no, um, I've definitely haven't had time to blog as much, but um, I need to make sure I do that a lot more often. And you do speaking as well, don't you? do a little bit of speaking. So I was talking in Vegas in October at DevLearn, talking about using Alexa to deliver what I call just-in-time training. So when someone needs training, they can get it straight straight there. And then I did like a bring-your-own-device, so I showed them how to do it. I think it's important to share skills and show people how they can do different things. That's what I want to do this year, share a lot more new things to do within the industry on my blog and on LinkedIn and other networks. And when you've done those events, because they sound like big events, are you approaching them or are they coming to you? No, um, I have approached them. So not at the stage where they've approached me yet, but uh, still like DevLearn, I think, had nearly a thousand people apply to get a spot. I wasn't actually initially chosen but uh, they came back to me and said, look, we've got a, we've got an opening. Have you still bought a ticket to come to Las Vegas? And I said, yes. So, yeah, I was really keen to jump in on that. And look, I, I also picked up a few other things at DevLearn as well. Like I offered to do portfolio reviews and things like that. And that's, you know, it's just building my portfolio, doing things like that. So, there may be a time that I'm I am being approached, but at this moment in time, I'm not. That's cool. So it's built, and it's all building your reputation as that expert. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you quite rare in in your field that you do it all? No, there's actually a lot of people who do it all. I don't know. Maybe it's thirty um, percent of people might do it all. I'm I'm rare in a case that I'm really quite techy and I spend as much time as I do learning about new tools out there but I have to I have to do that to keep innovating otherwise uh, I'm just going to be churning out the same old stuff and I don't want to do that so it's great to be able to go to conferences and talk about new innovation and how we can use it and just seeing people's eyes light up and go oh yeah I never thought about that that's great so you know I like I'd rather be an innovator than a you know, following everyone else. How do you stay on top of your workload? Because there's obviously 
a lot to what you're doing so you must and sometimes you have multiple projects you must be pretty organized yeah i use trello i put every single milestone on trello and i actually get clients on it as well so i get them i assign them to certain tasks so in the beginning we've got a really tight time frame but they can see exactly what they're going to be doing and where i'm up to at each stage so it's really really important so trello keeps me really really organized and keeps the client on track as well it's been very effective and how about managing your own time and your own day yeah that's a good question as well i don't manage unless i'm working on an hourly rate which doesn't happen very often i basically i probably work between about 10 and 3 every day it really depends on the milestone to be honest steve so it could be something like applying changes and I've given myself three days and sometimes there's very few changes that need to be made I mean when when you work for yourself you're you're going okay I'll apply those changes but I've got time left in the day so I might do an update to my website I might do a Facebook post you know I might also have another client that's running at the same time and and I'm 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 working until two in the morning, so it really depends on on the on the milestone that I'm working on. Things like storyboards and the development are normally long hours. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, if I've gone the right direction, especially with learning, I want as few opportunities to be out of scope as possible. So that's why I use Trello, and I use a lot of uh, things like the the learning strategy and the course overview to make sure that we're staying on track and things aren't changing. So that's normally how I work. And so if you're working mostly 10 to 3, I mean, I like the fact that that makes it sound like you, if you don't have to be working slash learning, it sounds like you make the most of the time off when it's there. Yeah, well, somewhat. I, my, my wife has a business as well. And of course, because I do what I do, I build in learning modules for her. I'm building website for her. So really the work never ends, but it's good. Uh, you know, it, it's it's very busy, but it's good busy, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you work from home? Work from home. Have a lovely house out in, um, I don't know if you know Melbourne at all, but I live in the Dandenong Ranges, which is out in the mountains. It's about 55 minutes from Melbourne. And yeah, it's just beautiful, very peaceful get the native birds on the deck every day and it's just paradise and then my dog's driving me mad every five minutes but it's good (laughs) so it sounds like work-life balance wise you you're quite happy oh it's pretty good yeah like um we did a bit of a cruise last year we we cruised from sydney to san francisco because i had a storyboard to write and that was just brilliant, Steve, to be able to just sit in the sit in the cabin all day. The wife was happy on the deck drinking cocktails. <laughs> and you know, and then I'd finish my day and I'd go up and, and enjoy it. And I thought, God, this is a great way. I had a client in New Zealand which I visited and a client in San Francisco that I visited. So, you know, really you know, we we try and we try and make sure that we because she's running her own business as well. We try and make sure that we we do our own thing. We 
we we get that break and we enjoy ourselves. But when it's busy, bloody hell, it's really busy, you know. But it's good. <laughs> you so you got clients in San Francisco. How how do you find like working across the time zones? It's pretty good. So San Francisco, if I get up at nine in the morning or eight in the morning, I think it's four p.m. there. So that works pretty well. I can still if I if I have something to hand over or you know. If I need to meet with the client, it's still possible to do it. The UK is a bit of a different time zone. It's a bit of a weird one. But because my, my desk is just through the living room, you know, I just walk out, get up off the couch, walk in. I do, I meet, I meet with people at funny times, but it, it works really well. You know, there's a lot of people who still want learning designers to be there in the office, and I don't know what for, so... I turn a lot of work away like that as well. You know, we need you in Melbourne. Okay, well, you're going to have to look for someone else because I work remotely. And if I can work with clients in San Francisco and London and all over, then, you know, they just have to trust that I'll get on and I'll do it. So Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. What have you got for me? Right. Okay. On my 40th birthday, my wife bought me tickets for a tour around um, Manchester City Football Stadium. And um, I love Sergio Aguero. I'm a big Manchester City fan. So I picked up his underwear and I rubbed them all over me, rubbed them, (laughs) right? And I put them down and I went to the game the next day and we won. And I, of course, was telling everyone, I rubbed Sergio Aguero's underwear. So... Okay. Okay. Number two. My second one is that I'm a qualified pastry chef. And my third is when I worked on the cruise ships, I used to go diving all the time. And I dove with sharks in the Bahamas. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Oh, gosh. I don't. (laughs) What? Okay, let's start at the beginning then. Man City. Yeah. So you now think you're like a lucky talisman for um yeah. do you now have to rub somebody's underwear over your face before they play? Yeah. <laughs> Is that because you, you got to do that because you get a tour of the changing rooms, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Did they just so... leave their pants out? Yeah, he had his underwear there. That seems I imagine like they have their kit hanging up, but each player has their own well, he had some special undies that were there. What's so special about them? I don't know. But they were there on his on his little chair. Oh, I don't know. Why would he have – why would you not just wear the pants that – I suppose after you've played, you'd want to change into other ones, I guess. Maybe you have pants for after. Oh, I don't know. That's confused me. I've never <laughs> thought about footballers' pants before. Pastry chef. When When did you train to be a pastry chef? So when I came out of school, I basically did hotel and catering. So I trained to be a pastry chef. What was your favorite thing to make as a pastry chef? I hated it all, actually. <laughs> I did look at, I did a, a variety of, of different things. It was a long, long time ago because I'm over 40 now, but. I don't know, I kind of like shoe pastry, so I like making eclairs and things like that. Mm. And then you dived with sharks. What were you, like in a cage? No, 
So in the Bahamas, you can go and it's um, an organized tour where you can, it's all safe, but basically you get your gear on, you dive to the bottom of this enclosure and they feed they feed the sharks from the top and you just lie, you kind of sit down on the bottom of the on, on the bottom of the sand and they feed sharks above you <laughs> what oh and it's crazy okay i don't know i've never heard of that which makes that sound weird pastry chef you took a long time to answer about pastry i know it was a long time ago but is that because it's simply not true but then why would you make that up sharks seems like an easier thing to make up because you did spend the time on the cruise ships maybe you saw that man city is so weird that i think that has to be true so i'm gonna say i'm gonna say you never dived with sharks ah you got it (laughs) yes i did scuba dive at every single port uh, while I was on the ships, but I actually was going to go diving with sharks, but I think I had to work, so I couldn't go. Oh, that makes me feel good. That's um... so you really were a pastry chef, though. That's, really was, yeah. and I absolutely hated it. However, <laughs> it's <laughs> and my wife would tell you I will refuse to make anything. I just hate it. Look, it was good as far as being really creative. So yeah. One thing I was just thinking about was obviously you work from home. You're very happy working from home. You don't want to go into somebody's office. You've got your wife, you've got your dogs, you've got the local birds landing on your deck. It sounds wonderful. Do you have any sort of sense of community? Like, uh, Is there like a whole gang of learning experience designers hanging out online or meeting in person? I don't know. I run a meetup every month called... Um something like e-learning hangout and that's been quite good so i have a small network um of people i think there's a couple from a couple of people in london the majority of them are from melbourne but it is i do advertise it on linkedin and um sometimes it's quite a good quite a good gathering and we generally talk about whatever you know it could be I think the last time I talked about Prospero, which is a really cool new quote tool. So it's just really talking about what we've been up to, talking through some challenges, getting some feedback on things. So that's been pretty good. And I do a um, a meetup, Women in Business, that's local to the Dandenong Ranges up here. But really the the, the people who come along are not learning designers a lot of them are in the media space, um, but it's still quite interesting to talk about different things. And yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. When you just mentioned Prospero, is it like does it help you create proposals and things? Yeah, it's really great tool. So I know it is partly created by Ran Seagal. It is. Isn't it? Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, obviously, I'm going to, in a moment, say go to beingfreelance.com, check out the links. But I will put a link to Rand's episode of beingfreelance.com. He was a previous guest a couple of years ago, I think. And if you've not seen Rand's work, he vlogs every day. He still does. We spoke about it then. He still does it now. And as well as being like a designer and as a freelancer, he also 
runs little startups and one of them is Prospero. So really interesting. <laughs> like, and I was just sitting there thinking, I'm sure I've heard him mention that a lot in his vlogs. Yeah. So yes, yeah, yeah. So I'll put a link. But Rand's episode of Being Freelance is well worth checking out as well. That's interesting. Oh, how it all links back together. I it like does. it. Kath, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? It would have been to not been scared to to jump in and and um and start doing freelance work a lot earlier i probably should have done it about two years before and i know i would have been fine but it was lack of confidence so just don't be scared give it a go the worst thing that can happen is it's awful and you just go and you get yourself another job you know so that's what i would have told myself Kath, it's been great to talk to you, and I'm glad you've not developed an Australian accent. the The only time I caught a hint of it was when you said the word "beautiful." Uh, oh, really? That, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. But other than that, no, really lovely to chat to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. Uh, there are the vlogs, the articles, over 150 guests, including Ran. We will put a link to what everything that Kath is up to as well. Plus, of course, we now have the Being Freelance community. You can click on the link is easiest at beingfreelance.com and it will take you through so that you can be part of us and come chat online there as well. It would be great to see you. But if you can do me one favor, help spread the word of what Being Freelance is and you can do that be it online or in person when you catch up with other freelancers yeah just let them know about the podcast and, and everything else but for now Kath thank you so much and all the best being freelance thank you thanks for having me 